Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Kind of sums up our, our legacy campaign. Um, it's hard to believe that uh, just one week from now we'll be making... The Thousand Day Promise, which is something we started planning at least 18 months ago to get to this point, uh, that will be a future investment in our kids, and I think will propel our mission and vision powerfully into the next 10 years. Uh, one of the quotes that has sort of been the summary of our entire legacy campaign has been this statement right here from Billy Graham, who passed away this week. The greatest legacy one can pass to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. And I think we would all agree that that is very, very true. So, with that in mind, we uh, are hoping, our goal is to to get $5 million over that 1,000 days, um, which I believe is quite doable if we all participate. And it's going to require, I know, a little pain, a little sacrifice. I understand that. And if you're like Gail and I, you've been having conversations. If you're a married couple, if you're single, you might be having some conversations with your friends, uh, parents, perhaps. Uh, Certainly God, we're all talking to him about it, and I've had a few candid conversations with some of you that have loved uh, about it, and um, this whole process can be a little bit unsettling as you come to settle on what you're going to do for this campaign. So if you're feeling a little stressful about it, um, and times of sacrifice and generosity tend to create uh, more tension than they do wonder. Uh, I want to try to ease that tension today. Um, as you may, I want to try to make the, the the promise that you're thinking about a little less stressful. And by that I mean where you you don't feel reluctant or you don't feel fearful or you don't feel uh, overly calculating that that kind of thing. So. Um, you know, I'd, ra- I'd rather us be freeing, a little, little free, feel freedom, confidence, maybe joy in it. Is that possible? Uh, last night at 7 o'clock, I, Gail and I tuned into the prayer that was going on here. Jofi was leading, and uh, she did just such a great job. And one of the things she prayed, she prayed this, God, give us peace as we decide what we're giving. And then she said... Uh, and, and make it joyful and fun. And I went, oh, I haven't heard that prayed yet. No one's prayed for joy and fun in this at all. Um, but the truth is, it is very easy in our world where we live. Um, it's very difficult to, you know, we live here with a lot compared to the rest of the world. And it gets in our heads and it twists our values very easily. Someone said last week to me, um, after we talked about prayer, that they could hear a prayer uh, or a sermon on prayer every month, and it would probably help them. 
because they stray away from it. You say, why? Well, because with prayer, you have to be dependent. You got to be trusting. It's hard to do. Well, you put that back to back with generosity, it's the same thing. Why is it hard to be generous? You have to be trusting. It was very difficult. And the two sort of go together. Um, So we could probably use a sermon on generosity every now and then too because we lose our grip on that just like we do prayer. So today what I thought we would do to uh, help us is look at Luke chapter 16. Luke 16 is my favorite text uh, on this topic. I'm going to make a connection to Joshua Uh, at the end, if I get the time, and if I don't, then we'll do it later. Uh, But in Luke chapter 16, we're both confronted and calmed, and by the way, that's what we both, that's what we need. We need to be confronted, and we need to be calmed a little bit, and I think the text does both, and I hope it does, and by the time we're done, I hope you feel some relief from the stress, all right? Luke 16 is going to remind us how to think about what we have and then how to think about being generous. What does that look like? Luke 16 is the story of an unrighteous steward. He's a financial officer. He's, he runs the finances for this very wealthy man. And he has mishandled the funds. And because of it, he's about to lose his job. So he thinks about his prospects, and they're not good. Uh, He doesn't want to beg, which that's one of his options, and he doesn't want to dig ditches. So he's he's too proud to beg, and he's probably maybe not physically capable of of a life or being employed as a, you know, someone who's digging ditches. So he's got to come up with a plan. And he's got to figure something out. And what he does realize is that he doesn't have a lot of connections. He does not have a lot of people that think well of him. I mean, if you consider that he's been mismanaging money. And so uh, he sort of does something very interesting after he realizes that his boss is going to fire him. He calls his boss's debtors in. He calls them in one by one and he sort of puts them on this little discount program and he reduces the amount that they owe in an effort to make them like him so that next week when he's out of a job, they'll be willing to help him. That's what it's about. So at the end of this incredible story, Jesus says that the boss, after he finds out what his you know, financial officer did, he actually praises him for things. That's really smart. So in verse 8, he says, the master comes to him and says, that was really shrewd. I mean, that was the thing to do right there. And so when you hear that story, you go, all right, now, what do we learn from that story? What can we learn from this guy? And I think there are three things that we can learn from. I've tried to make them easy to remember by making them sound a little bit you know, reality of stewardship. Uh, the strategy of stewardship and the conspicuity. <laughs> Had to find a Y word. That was the best I could do to get the point across. Related to conspicuous, which you'll see in just a minute. The conspicuity of stewardship. Uh, in an effort to sort of bring some relief to the tension, perhaps, that you're feeling 
about giving. Now, let me give a little bit of a caveat here. Uh, I don't, um, and I've been feeling this all week long, this talk really is to relieve the stress of those who are planning to give to this campaign. Because that's where we are as a body. It's just where we are. Um, So if you're in the throes of that consideration, it's designed to help you. Uh, If you're not planning to give to Legacy, I certainly hope you would reconsider, but this talk is not a manipulation trying to get you to do it. And I'll make my point even clearer when I say this. Uh, You don't have have to give to this campaign to be spiritual. You don't have to give to this campaign to fulfill what Luke 16 is saying. Um, We all have to be generous if we follow Christ. So it will help all of us. But particularly those of you who are planning to give to this campaign. So um, if after this talk you go, I feel like I need to give to it, that's on you. It's not on me. All right? That's not why I'm doing this. I don't want anyone, anyone in this room to give to this campaign out of any kind of obligation. All right? Um, So now that that's out of the way, let me see if we can relieve a little stress about generosity. So we look at our text, and I want you to see, first of all, um, the whole thing. We're going to see, first of all, the reality of stewardship. The reality of stewardship. Uh, And if you look at the whole text and you highlight the main word in it, you see either manager or management. And that is a word that is used for steward. It's, It's the word that means economy. And it has the idea of the guy who's in charge of the money. Okay? It's either the management or the manager in both of them. So stewardship is the issue here. We're talking about the reality of stewarding money. Now, uh, when we get to verses 1 and 2, here's what it says. There was a rich man who had a manager, and the manager was reported to have been squandering his possessions. That's the same word used in Luke 15 of the prodigal son who squandered his father's money. So it's a wasting of it. It's the same word. And he called him in. So he calls this guy in and he says, What is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer manage. All right? So there's squandering and there's accounting. Those are your two pieces. Now, here's the reality of stewardship. It's the first one. First reality of stewardship is the money wasn't yours. The money wasn't yours to begin with. So that's the nature of being a steward. The nature of being a steward is that you steward someone else's money. So that means you can't do anything you want with it. If you have someone in charge of any of your money, you don't want anyone mishandling that money. That's not their money to do. They're supposed to do what you want them to do with it. And they're not supposed to take more than they're supposed to for themselves. That would be a mishandling of the money. Now, this is a very, very difficult thing for people who live in this culture. Because we get twisted. Most of us are screwed up when it comes to money. We're twisted in our heads. 
Our lives and worlds are tied up in ways in it that is just really messy. And so that's why, you know, maybe once a month it's good to hear something, be a reminder. Stop acting like it's yours. That's what this text is saying first. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you think about that hard, it will bring some relief to you. It wasn't yours anyway. It wasn't yours anyway. That's a little relieving. Uh, you say, well, what, what do you mean it wasn't mine anyway? And, and most of us lose this. If you lose a job, you may have people that I've prayed for that will find a job. And you'll, go, you'll, you'll, you'll pray your guts out to find a job if you don't have one. And then God gives you the job, and then you act like all the money's yours. That's what we do. As soon as we get the job, all that money's mine. And that's how we think about our money. And we stop, we don't even think about the fact that God has given us abilities and talents to use it. God hasn't, that God has given us opportunities and relationships and certain circumstances come together for us to have that job. And forget about the fact that you're alive. That's important in earning money. Very few dead people, unless you're Elvis, you know, or uh, Michael Jackson. I mean, you're, you're not bringing income in when you're dead. So, I mean, these are all things God does for us. In fact, even in, I'll tell you a great text to read in 1 Chronicles 28 and 29 when David decides to build this temple and he asks everyone to give to it. And then everyone gives to it and, and everyone has sort of really, really come through on the offering in order to build the building, the temple. And David says, um, he says in 1 Chronicles 29 and verses 10, he blesses the Lord for the whole assembly. He says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, the victory, and the majesty. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And we thank you. And then he says, who am I and what is, what is my people that we should be able thus to offer this much money? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. All we've done is given back what you have given to us. That's what it feels like to be a steward. It wasn't mine anyway. Whether I'm spending it or whether I'm being generous with it wasn't mine to begin with. Now, that has a really harsh undertone to it. Don't miss it. That means if you're not generous with the money. It's not that you just lacked compassion or that you were a little selfish. You took money that wasn't yours. You're a thief. You stole it. You're a robber. That's, that's the point of the text. If you mismanage the money, you're no good. You don't just lack a sense of justice. You lack integrity is the idea. So if you don't do what the master wants you to do with the money, then you've stolen it. That's the picture. That's very akin to Malachi 3 in the Old Testament. 
you know, there's very few texts. Maybe there's another one, but this one for sure, at least sort of combined with Malachi 3 when Malachi the prophet tells the people they robbed God. You're robbing God. So that's a tough message, but there's a lot of relief in it when you realize it wasn't mine anyway. Uh, number two, second thing about the steward. Not only is it the, the reality of stewardship, but the strategy of the steward. The strategy of the steward. Now let's see what he does. He does something very interesting. First of all, the manager says to himself. This is a great little Greek phrase that's used a number of times in the gospel to sort of talk about the, that really eye-opening moment that a person has, that aha moment. The prodigal son had one of these aha moments. He came to his senses. He's doing it again here. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? What am I going to do? So this is that sort of self-conferencing moment. You know when you call yourself into a conference room and you go, we're in big trouble. How are we going to get out of this mess? He's having that moment. You might be having one now, just after the first point. Oh, Lord, something's up. We need to think about this. He says, what shall I do? And then he realizes he's going to lose his job because you can't keep managing someone's money if you're not going to manage it the way they want you to manage it. That's not going to happen long. And he goes, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. So I got to have a plan. My future does not look bright. And then he says, there's another little phrase that kind of comes in the Gospels. Prodigal son had it too. I know what I'm going to do. Here's your, here's your light bulb moment. It's sort of the exciting moment. You got really bad news going on in verses 1 to 2. I'm losing my job. I've been caught as a thief. It's hard to get. I mean, that's a bad day. He says, what shall I do? I'm going to be removed from my job. And this I want you to do is just read this slow because this is what happened to me as I was reading just this verse right here. Just read it slow. What shall I do so that when I am removed from management, say the next word out loud. He didn't say, what am I going to do with money? He said, people. All of a sudden, that aha moment. What's really valuable came into focus. And it's people, not money. That's what happened to him. All of a sudden, it's people that I'm going to need. It's not money that's the most important thing. And he's figuring that out right here on the fly in this very desperate moment. I'm going to need people to help me or I'm in trouble. So all of a sudden, you could see this this thing, this value change. There's something more valuable than making, having, and hoarding or holding money. Personal accumulation is not what my boss is interested in. So I've got to figure out how it is I need to value people if that's what he values. And so this is what he does. This is literally what he does. He summons each one of his master's debtors, every single one of them, And there must have been a few, because you're going to see that this is probably a big company. This guy stewards a lot of money. There's only two examples that that the text gives us as sort of representative of everyone. You can imagine how many people are going to be filing in on this day to meet with this guy, because he's calling a meeting. He's going to sit down with them. He's going to assess their accounts. He's going to do all of that. 
And he says to them, here's what he says to the first one. How much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. Now, oil was very precious. This might have been the highest commodity they were dealing with economically. Um, he owes them a hundred measures of oil. Well, that would have been somewhere around three years' salary. So this guy has a pretty big company that he's running. He doesn't mind having a, you know, a, an ongoing you know, debt with this man of what three-year salary would be for this oil. Uh, the guy says, take it down, cut it right in half. Just cut it 50%. The second guy owns wheat, another very valuable commodity. Maybe not utterly as perfect. A 100 measures of wheat, though, in that culture would have been 8 to 10 years salary. That amount of money. This guy's got a big operation. We're probably looking at the two biggest deals this guy has in his business. These are probably his most profitable, and he's making the most money on these two. That's why they're listed. And he cuts that down, 20, down to 80. And you're like, wow. What is, now, let me just tell you, the master wouldn't have praised him for this. His boss wouldn't have praised him for this unless he was reducing his fees, which you were allowed to do. If you were running the company, you were allowed in that day to add little interests and fees that went into your pocket and not your boss's. You just were allowed to do that. It's part of the deal. Well, he may have been doing it exorbitantly, and it got a little greedy, and it got out of hand, and it got around And pretty soon, it got found out. And now, he's cutting this down, and basically, he's cutting into his costs. He's cutting into his profits. Now, you say, what's going on here? What's the strategy of the steward? Because once you realize, (laughs) you come to the reality that you're a steward, then there is the strategy of the steward. And what does the steward do? Well, the point is, of these economic discussions, why does he list both of them? It's, it's because we get to see firsthand what a Christ follower does with money. The strategy of the steward, which is simply this. Watch what the world values it, put the world's price tag on it, and then value it a little bit less. That's what stewards who live in the kingdom do. They value something beyond what the world values. And so what the world values... They discount. That's what a kingdom follower of Christ does. He goes through the list of things that he does that that the world values, and he discounts them. Uh, Gail and I were having this conversation last week. Um, After our prayer time, we were leading the prayer time here at 7, and then we were one of the leaders, and we went home. And on the way home, it's kind of quiet and prayerful. And she finally says to me, because we hadn't been in personal conversation at all, uh, we'd just been individually thinking about it. She said, what do, you, what, what, what do you think we ought to give? And so I turned it back on her, and I said, well, what do you think we ought to give? Okay? Like a leader. A leader does that. <laughs> so she says, uh, she says, I think you ought to give this much. And I said, well, that's interesting because I, I had a number higher than that. I said, I, I was thinking this much. And she goes, talk to me about that. 
So we talked through it. And we were, okay, okay, well, let's think about it again. And so last night after the prayer time, we were, we were sort of, uh, we were eavesdropping on the face, Facebook and prayer was over and we were sitting there on the couch again and she brought it up again. And I said, well, what, what, what are you thinking now? She put a number above mine. And I, I said, we have to stop talking about this, I think, because this, this is getting a little out of hand. This is getting a little out of hand now. Now, she's more naturally, more naturally generous than I am, okay? Um, so she put that number there, and then I said, you know, if you're going to put it there, now here's what you do, and here's what you're discounting. When you're going to be generous, you're going to discount. You're going to say, well, I guess it looks like what we were valuing here, we're going to have to drop the value of that. Like, if, if, you've got a, if you've got a bank account with X amount of money in it, you're going to go, well, we're going to have to devalue that a little bit in order to be generous, uh, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be exotic vacations for you. And it's funny because we're all sort of strange and weird and we judge other people for what they spend their money on, but we all have our little stupid stuff, don't we? Like some of us like clothes. We like to look good. I like to be flashy. Some of us put money in cars. There's some of us in here that we hate cars. We wouldn't put money in cars. And we, sometimes we feel like we're better than other people who don't drive nice cars because we don't put our money in cars. But you put it somewhere else. Maybe it's food. You just an eating machine, and you like good food, and you spend all kind of money on food, all right? And it could be exotic vacations. It could be uh, anything that you just value, and we all value something, and we put our money in it. Um, but what you have to do is you got to go through, and you got to discount certain things. In order to be generous to the kingdom, you've got to look at things and go, I know that we used to value this. We can't value it as much as we used to value it. If you're going to be generous, you got to go through a discount program in your head. Now, this guy, it looks like he's losing money. On one angle of this text, you go, this guy has just cut out all, most of his profits. He's going to be lucky to get anything out of that. <laughs> he's cutting, but, but. He doesn't look like, and even when you're reading it, the feeling, the emotion of the text is it's kind of exciting. It's almost like he's gone from desperation, I'm going to be fired, to get the next guy in here, we're making cuts. He's excited about it. Like, you weren't very excited when I said discounts, but he's very excited about it. He's like, bring the next guy in here. I love this. This is fun. And if, how would you, I mean, this is sort of the feeling you have in the text. You have the feeling of the text. This guy's not scared. He's just slashing this money away. He's just cutting it out. He, he doesn't feel like a loser at all. That's not the feeling of the text. It's because a lot of times when we give, it probably feels to some of us, like we've got a wad of cash in our hand and we're driving down the highway and we're just letting it go. That's how it feels. And that's why we get stressed. This guy doesn't feel that way. He doesn't feel like it's, it's almost as if the only thing he's afraid of is not what he's losing, but what he was going to keep. He's more afraid of what he was going to keep than what he's getting rid of at this stage in the game. Because now he realizes there's something more valuable. And see, that relieves stress. When I realize I'm making an investment, and we'll see that in a second because the text is going to give it to us. Uh, someone, 
someone said in one of the prayers this week, as I was listening in, the theme has been sacrifice all week. So somebody said uh, in their prayer, Lord, as we think about these sacrifices, we know this is not normal living. And I just, in my head, just went, you're absolutely right. This is not how, this is not how the kingdom people live. It's, no, it's normal for them to make sacrifices. It's not how the world, it's not their normal way, but it is the way kingdom people live. We make sacrifices. That's kingdom living. It's not out of the question for Christ followers to look closely at what they value and start devaluing it for the sake of the kingdom. Whatever that be. I'll tell you, C.S. Lewis has written something. And, you know, of all the things I've ever read, many times as I've taught this particular text or other texts on finances in general, uh, nothing's convicted me more than C.S. Lewis's way of putting it. And here's what he says. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, and amusements is up to the standard common among those with the same amount of income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charity expenditures excludes them. Now, you want a punch in the face? That is a punch in the face. C.S. Lewis is simply saying, that's just normal living in the kingdom. The final point is the conspicuity of the steward. What becomes obvious to him, what becomes conspicuous, striking, clear. Something becomes clear to this guy. And in verses 8 and 9, you sort of, you, you see it. His master praises him because he's shrewd. And then this gets added. And it's the most incredible thing Jesus ever said about money. It's right here in the next few lines. The most indicting thing to Christians Because he's going to compare us to this unjust steward. He's going to say, why is it that the sons of this age, people who live in this world, are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light? Why? You don't know what sons of light really means yet. Until you read verse 9, and he says, He says, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. Use your worldly money so that when it fails, because it will, it's not lasting, it's not worthy of hoarding, not worthy of it. It doesn't have the substance of eternity. Unless you do something with it, invest it in something that is eternal. And that's why he says they will receive you into eternal dwellings. So whatever, whatever uh, the sons of this age and light are, why would he compare this world and then rather than say the next world? He says light instead because it ought to be clearly seen. See, here's, 
I love what this unjust steward does. I feel like his boss a little like, that's pretty smart stuff. You seem excited, optimistic about a future that was pretty bad. But you know how far he's thought into the future? He's only thought a week. This guy has thought one week into his future and has become radically generous. What? Yeah, he's thought about his next paycheck. That's all he's thought about. And it's made him that generous. And Jesus is saying, how is it that we have been given visibility into eternity and I got to pry anything out of your hands? That's devastating. That is devastating. That's what I mean by conspicuity. Eternity ought to be clean. We ought to be able to see faces. That's what he means in this verse. Make friends. I don't have time to unpack the abstractness of this today. Another time, perhaps. But he's talking about we've got to be able to see eternity as a community of love and relationships and be grateful to God that you even have perspective that goes that far. Most people are living with perspective that only goes to their grave if they're lucky. Some of them are just living paycheck to paycheck. One week at a time. They're not even looking to their grave yet. We got past that into eternity. You know why? Because of Christ. Christ. What does the scripture say about him? He became poor so that we might become rich. We're blessed beyond comprehension that we get to see into eternity. And we ought to see faces. We ought to see people. We ought to, we ought to be, when we get there, be able to party around the things that mattered the most in the world. What do you think these people are going to be standing around doing, talking about, oh my gosh, aren't you glad you thought about the things that matter the most in the world? Because that's what they're going to be doing. And Christ has given us that. So this week, Kirk is in India. He's our Kirk and Violetta are back in India. And they went to a leper's colony and, they, you know, sent me about five or six pictures. And there was a little eight-year-old girl who was abandoned because her family died. And when you get abandoned as a little girl in India, nobody wants you. It's not like we got a place to put you. You don't have a place. And nobody cares. And so he goes, we had... We grabbed another girl up, and he sent me the picture. He said, this is our new little girl right here. And he's in India. They're both sick as a dog. He and Violetta, both sick as a dog. Walking around in the leper, trying to give love to those, loving on those people whose lives are just torn apart. I won't show you those pictures. But then he shows me the face of this little girl, and I'm, and you know, he's over there where it's so poor, and we're over here where it's so affluent. And he goes, we've got to be able to see faces. And that's what, that's what Christ has given us. We're able to see into eternity. That ought, to, you're not just putting money out the window when you're generous to God's kingdom, wherever it is you give it. It's okay for you to go, that's not worth it. That is. And if we believe that fully, if we believe that fully, how much more would we use what we have for the thing that counts and lasts the longest? If this guy will do it, thinking only one week ahead, 
How much more us who think of eternity? It's not even comparable. Let's bow our heads. Father, we got all kinds of, I'm sure, all kinds of thoughts running through our heads right now. And we might be having one of those moments in our own hearts about just how we see money, how we feel about money. And every once in a while we get confronted with it. It's painful, I know. But it is nice to remember. It's nice to remember. It's stress relieving to remember that it's all yours to begin with. That because of what you've done for us, we can devalue some of the things that the world values. We can take some of the stress off us there. And how much ultimate stress is relieved by the fact that we can see into eternity, that we know what matters the most because of what you have done for us. Father, make us, make us shrewd, joyful givers. Please don't make us feel. Don't let us feel like losers when we give to the king. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.